told you I'd recommend a, a book uh, throughout the series. Uh, this is a great book, by the way. I just read it this week or last week, actually. Is God to Blame? Uh, the author is Greg Boyd, same guy I, I referenced a couple weeks ago. I like uh, Boyd a lot. He, he is a prolific author. I'd say he cranks books out like nobody's business. But uh, again, sometimes he's got some funny ideas, but most of the time I think he's pretty good. So that's that. I think in your bulletins today you have a... Did you guys get this or is it... Yeah, that's the list for... I, 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 several have asked if I would publish the list. So this is the reading list for the whole series. So some of those we haven't got to yet. They'll be later in the series. But that's my my recommendation list for the series. Um, so with that, I'm going to start, introduce today's topic with a story. And I'm going to tell you a story for two reasons. One, this is kind of, uh, this particular story is sort of primordial history of the vineyard. This is sort of some things that happened before the things that happened. So I thought oh, I'd be good to, to look at that. But beyond that, of course, it really is a uh, a profound illustration of, of today's question, and we'll get to the, today's question in a minute. So the story is this. Most of you know that um, a man named John Wimber was the founder of the Vineyard Movement, kind of the, you know, whatever. He, he sort of set the tone, set the mood, set the theology. This is sort of who we are, what we are, what we're about. Uh, Donna and I and my family were part of John's church for 20 years, got to know him uh, real well in, in that regard. Some of you might not know, before he, John became a Christian as an adult, he was converted as an adult, and before he was saved, uh, was a professional musician. And in the late 50s, early 60s, John made something of a name for himself in musical circles, had done very well, very gifted uh, writer, producer, musician, all of that. So at some point, he introduced a couple guys who formed a band called the Righteous Brothers, and they had some hits and, and were doing real well, um, kind of taking off. Uh, at about that time, 1963, most of you, some older folks, will remember uh, the Beatles came to the United States for the first time, played on Ed Sullivan, huge hit. So then they were planning, Beatles were planning to come back in 1964. They were doing a world tour, going to do a... Uh, a leg of that tour in the United States, and they chose the Righteous Brothers to be their opening band for the tour. So professionally speaking, John's on top of the world. He's preparing to produce the next Righteous Brothers album and go on tour with the Beatles. That's a good deal if you're a musician. Uh, personally, his life was not doing as well. Uh, John was a musician. Uh, he did what musicians do. Smoked, drank, and probably some other things. Uh, worked late nights, often until 2 or 3 in the morning. He, he was married, had some small children. They lived in Orange County. John was in L.A. and or mostly Las Vegas most of the time playing, so he's away from home. Things uh, in his family were kind of unraveling a little bit. And about that time, he ran into an old friend of his named Dick Hine, who was a jazz drummer that he had played in jazz bands with earlier on. Dick and his wife, Lynn, had become Christians. And they invited John to go to a, a Bible study uh, led by a gentleman named Gunnar Payne. And, um, you know, John's, you know what, how it is. There's that little voice in your head. Just thought, yeah, I'll go. I'll go. So uh, Gunner was not a pastor. He was a farmer, to be honest. Um, led Bible studies. He, had a, he was an evangelist in the purest sense of the word over uh, a long period of time, many, many, many years. Led hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ. 
discipled hundreds and hundreds of people in small groups. Uh, there's a place called Quaker Meadow. It's a youth camp for fifth, run by the Quaker Church in the West Coast here. And for 15 years, Gunner led youth camps there every year. Just that kind of a man. In, in his book, PowerPoints, John uh, writes this about meeting Gunner. He says, from the outset, I knew there was something different about Gunner Payne. He was a good teacher, intelligent, insightful, patient. But that was not what caught my attention. What impressed me was the quality of the man, his character. He appeared to be sound, complete, uncorrupted. Nothing mattered to him except living for God. The peace of Jesus permeated his being. Gunner's character was more important to me than his knowledge of the Bible. I needed a trustworthy witness to Christ, and Gunner filled the bill. Gunner's life was revelation. The way he lived embodied the gospel. So it wasn't uh, very long until uh, rock and roll musician John Wimber found himself uh, kneeling down in Gunner's living room floor, weeping and praying to receive Christ into his heart. The part of the story I want to tell you, though, actually goes back uh, 10 years before John ever met Gunner. Gunner's neighbor was also a farmer and a beekeeper. He had beehives and did what farmers do. And he hired a young man named Billy Rupp, who was a... He was a drifter just coming through the area and uh, had had a criminal record, told the guy he had a criminal record, but man wanted to give him a second chance, so he hired And one day they had uh, gone out and Gunner's 15-year-old daughter, Ruby Ann, was babysitting for the neighbor's kids. They had three children. And this guy, uh, Billy, came in the back door of the house, the kitchen door. He had a rifle. He set it next to the... Uh, kitchen he knew who was there he called the oldest boy was eight years old and uh, called him into the kitchen and sent him on an errand so ruby was in the living room watching television with the two younger children he came into the room and grabbed her and pushed her into a hallway and sexually assaulted her she got up and tried to run away so he hit her in the head with a hammer and then uh, she was still able to get up and run, and as she ran, he shot her in the back twice with a twenty-two caliber rifle and killed her. He uh, ran away and hid in the hills in Orange County, and uh, by the time, I mean, those two kids home, the eight-year-old came back, it was a mess. By the time anybody knew what happened, there was no cell phones or anything, uh, he was gone. And they launched the largest manhunt in the history of California to date. To search for him. Four days later, they found him hiding in the hills, and he was arrested and confessed to the crime. Uh, he was tried and convicted, sentenced to death. And eight years later, or five years later, 1958, he was executed in the gas chamber in California. Um, before Billy was executed, he was visited uh, in prison numerous times by Ruby's father, Gunner. And uh, Gunner talked to him about what he talked to everybody about. He just talked to him about Jesus. Told Billy that he forgave him for what he had done. And he told him that... Uh, Jesus, you know, loved him and would forgive him as well. And on one of those visits, Billy uh, prayed with Gunner and received Christ into his life. So as I said, I, I, that's a little bit of 
prehistory history of the Vineyard Movement, I, I just believe that there was something in Gunner's heart that was imparted to John that was passed on to the movement in terms of just that humility and willingness just to put Christ before everything else. But it also really addresses our question today, and this is a, one of the questions you guys sent in. If God is good all the time, why do bad things happen to people who love and serve Him and are some people just more blessed than others? Certainly, Gunnar Payne was a good and godly man. I mean, he lived his whole life. I didn't tell you this part. Ten years later, about the time he met John and Carol, his oldest son was attending a Christian college, uh, coming home one night, fell asleep at the wheel, crashed, and uh, suffered irreparable damage. He was completely incapacitated and needed to have care the rest of his life. But Gunnar never stopped loving Jesus. He never stopped sharing about Jesus. He never stopped telling people, leading people to Christ. That's, that's what he did. And so this morning, I want to try to make sense out of that and answer this question. What we're going to do, and the reason I divided this into two messages, today I'm going to try to answer that and talk about why, and then next week I want to look at our response to that. What do we as Christians do when life goes sideways? How, how do we get past those things? Uh, so let's just uh, pray real quick, and then we'll uh, see if we can figure this out. Lord, thank you for your word, and I pray again, as always, that you would open our hearts to receive, open your word to us, Lord, help it to make sense and to uh, really touch our lives and move us forward in our relationship with you. Amen. Really quickly, in review of last week, there were three things that we uh, uh, kind of came to terms with, first of all, that when evil happens in the world and suffering, sickness, injustices uh, of all kinds, that those are not part of God's purpose, plan, or will. Uh, they happen, but, but they're, they don't come from God. It's not His will or purpose ever that His people would go through those things. Conversely, the world looks like a war zone because it is a war zone. We're at war. We have an enemy, and the enemy is working overtime to try to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus tells us. And so, what happens when the people of God suffer is really a result of, of that. And then finally we concluded that while God does not intend for suffering, He will use suffering and make good come from bad. Very often I shared with you about my niece who had to have heart surgery as an infant and has now a ministry to help uh, not only awareness of childhood heart disease, but also help others that are suffering from that. So first thing, to the bad news. I'll give you the bad news first. Uh, the bad news is this. As Christians and followers of Jesus, um, we, we not only can, but we should expect a certain degree of difficulty and suffering in our lives. Um, this is the biblical record throughout. Jesus says in John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, so he doesn't say you might have trouble, you could have trouble. He says you will. Paul communicates the same truth in Thessalonians. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And again, not we might be persecuted, we would be persecuted. It turned out that way, as you well know. Peter, of course, is profound in his understanding of the situation when he says in 1 Peter 5, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, further, another verse in Peter that I think is really, really important 
and our theological understanding of life in Christ. Uh, at 1 Peter 2, he says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I, I really, I, I think this, if our goal is to be Christ-like, we say that, right? Um, if, if, in fact, our goal is to be Christ-like and Christ uh, suffered as his followers, I really believe we should probably understand that that's part of the package. Now, when I uh, became a Christian, oh, first off, let's go one more verse before we do that. Isaiah 53, uh, prophetic word about, I, uh, about Jesus from the prophet Isaiah speaking to Israel. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. A lot of the older translations I really like say a man of sorrows. And I believe that Isaiah there is prophesying not only of Christ's crucifixion and death on the cross, but really of his entire life, that he was rejected and misunderstood. Anybody ever felt misunderstood, felt rejected because people don't really know? You have something in your heart that you're trying to communicate and people aren't getting it, they're getting something else. I think that was the life of Christ. So what I started to say was, uh, you know, when I, I, I became a Christian in the 70s, in the 70s, we were told really on no uncertain terms that if we come to Jesus, everything would be okay. If you have your life to Christ, all your problems will go away. I mean, it really, uh, some of you are smiling, you... you old folks remember that it was really that, that, that's what that was sort of the evangelistic protocol and it, the, the, the truth is this that you know I mean it was a very it was a huge disappointment because I, I think uh, it was a time period in history when a lot, a lot of people came to Christ and uh, problems didn't go away um, you know today I think the spiritual climate has changed a little bit and I don't hear that as often but here's what I do hear a lot today and, and I, I hear this regularly somebody will say to me well so-and-so, this person, that person, they've given their life to Christ, they serve God, they're such a good person. How could this happen to them? So the implication is, if you're a good person, or if you serve God, if you do good things, that you're somehow exempt from trouble and bad things happening. And I think that's sort of the underlying thought behind that. But I want to point out that that is really not a biblical perspective at all. Uh, There's absolutely no way to come to that conclusion by reading the Bible. It's, I think it's, it's a, a desired notion in the heart of good people. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's something they want. It's a good thing in their heart. But it's, it's not a biblically true reality. I mean, if you just read one chapter, just read Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith, right? Uh, the great hall of faith is all these heroes of the faith who just went through hell. I mean, that, that's the reality. Uh, not only the way they died, but the way that they lived, the things that they went through. I, I'm going to say this, and I don't know that I have, to be honest, biblical basis for this, but it's just my experience. I really believe when you take a step of faith and you begin to move out uh, in God's kingdom, that the reality is it puts a target on your back. And that when you're not doing anything for God, uh, you know, it's just like war. If you think about a war, if you're... If you, <laughs> you're holed up in a house off the battle line somewhere, who gives a rip? The enemy's not sending a team out after you. When you begin to get on the front lines, I think that you draw, you attract a little attention. And, 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 and challenges will be uh, quickly following. Uh, so, okay, look, it begs the question, right? Begs the question, why bother? Uh, why not just lay low? <laughs> you know, uh, we all get to go to heaven, right? Um, 
For me, here's the deal. This is the answer for me, and you can answer for yourself. But for me, the, the truth is there, there are no guarantees in life. Life's not fair. Jesus says this. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, hint, he's not talking about the weather. Okay, Jesus is talking about good things and bad things happening to good and bad alike. So, the way I look at it is this. Bad things might happen. Anyway. So, I have two options. If I'm going to go through difficulties in life, I can either go through them with Jesus or without Jesus. And personally, I'd rather go through them with Jesus every day, any day, all day. Second thing is this. You only get one life. I want to make it count. I want to do what I can do to advance the kingdom of God. If, If I have the opportunity let one person know about Jesus and make their life a little bit better, then I want to do that even if it costs me. It's just that simple. I, re- I really believe that's the way it works. Why do bad things happen to good people? You're not going to like this. In any specific situation, and that's what it comes down to. Why, why do we pray for one person that gets healed immediately and we pray for somebody else a hundred times and they don't? That drives me crazy absolutely makes me want to pull my hair out. Why did that child die in childbirth? It drives me crazy. I hate that. I hate everything about it. Why, why was a family hit by a drunk driver and you know everybody but the four-year-old died? I, I, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't... Those things are overwhelming to me. The truth is this. In any specific situation, we can't know the cause. It's impossible to determine why any given event happens. The big picture is this. I said last week, the nature of God is love. God is love, right? Out of God's love, He created both human beings and angelic beings with free will, with the opportunity to choose that love or not choose that love. Because if He didn't give us free will, it wouldn't be real love. You guys follow me on that? We talked about marriage. You can't say, you will love me and I will marry you. It just doesn't work that way. It's it's a reciprocal relationship. So, For love to be genuine and real, God had to make free will in our lives. So, in any given situation, there are literally hundreds and hundreds, thousands, myriads of decisions being made that led up to that event happening. And there's no way that we can determine what what caused that immediate thing to happen. There's also, and here's the thing, there are the decisions that led up to the decision. And and in the case of Billy Rupp, I want to tell you this, the story I told you earlier... Uh, I, I read, and uh, don't do it, but I, I went back and found the crime report and read it online. Uh, he was born with uh, the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. He was actually stillborn and revived. But he had suffered brain damage because of lack of oxygen. His medical history growing up, he had every disease I'd heard of and a few I'd never heard of. I don't know what else happened in his life, but that young man had lived a troubled life. He began to have... Manifest sexual deviancies at age nine and had been arrested actually three times for assault prior to the event that happened. I have no idea all of the things that went into what led to that decision to murder that young woman that day. And there's no way that anybody can ever fully understand that. See, here's the reality. Not only do we live in a fallen world where bad and ungodly decisions are made every day, but but the, the other reality is this, that we are finite beings and we just can't know everything. We just can't know everything. 
I'm going to give you a little tweak. Okay? Hang with me. I think sometimes people think this. We, I think we're of the mindset today, especially technology, science, everything. We, we know the world. We know, where we, we know the world we live in. We understand how the world works. And we think God is a mystery. God is mysterious. And I think that's why sometimes we ascribe bad things happening to God. It must be God because why else would, the, you know, how did this happen? I think the opposite is actually true. I think if our, we, I believe that Jesus is the fullest revelation of God we had, the most complete revelation of God we had. I think if we look at Jesus, we can really figure out who God is and what God's about. I, I think we can determine how, by looking at the life of Christ, I believe we can determine how God will respond in any given situation. He's consistent in that. But I don't think we really understand the world around us. I really don't. I think there are so many things, both on a spiritual level and a natural level, happening all the time. It's so complex that we really, really don't understand it. We have to remember that the, the whole of creation, the entire created order is at war. The entire created order is at war. We are under siege every minute of every day by forces that hate God and want to destroy everything that He is for. And at a given point in our lives, I think we have to come to the decision that God really is good all the time, and I'm going to trust and believe that. And that when bad things happen, He is not behind those things, but conversely, He is fighting for us and doing all He can to prevent those things from happening. That He really does have our best interest at heart. That He really does love us as much as we say He does every minute, all day, all the time. And we have to learn to trust Him in the midst of that. So I'm going to close, and I, it's good because we have a little time to, to pray. Uh, I'm going to close where we began. Uh, next week we're going to talk a little bit more about what we do. What do you do when bad stuff happens? Um, this is Carol Wimber's book, The Way It Was, uh, talking about meeting Gunner Payne. We've been Christians about six months when Preston, their only son, was in a tragic car accident. Though he lived, he was severely brain damaged, and when we heard about it, our panicked response was fear that Gunner would be destroyed. He would fold, become bitter. How much can a man take, we thought. In the midst of all his pain and suffering, he was worried about us and came over to, take our, ho- came over to our house to let us see he was all right, that he would make it. He reassured us that Jesus was enough to get them through once again. I don't understand what's happened, but I trust him, was what he said. That man was a Christian. And what he, what he was, because of Jesus in him, was the strongest argument for Christianity ever stated. How do we stand? And uh, if you guys want to come up, give a song.